you've been here over the last few weeks and been following online, you know that our pastors, Darren, and I've heard Pastor Eric likes to go by Pastor Bishop, or by Bishop Eric, um, they've done an incredible job with helping us discern the voice of God through their voice sermon series. And I want you to know, um, part of my involvement here at this church is that I get to co-lead what we call huddles, and those are just small groups where we learn to discern the voice of God. And it is in those huddles that we talk about how we're hearing from God and what our response to it is going to be. And by no means am I a Bible scholar. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not what you would call a professional Christian. I am a stay-at-home mom. And in fact, the last time I got to be here last fall, I was pregnant with my daughter, who maybe I think we have... She's so cute. Oh, my gosh. So squish those cheeks. (laughs) She's now 12 weeks old. Like many of you, the demands of life seem to never end. But when I stop and pay attention, I'm learning that there are distinct times in my everyday life that I feel the Lord's presence. When he prompts me to move towards someone or to a specific situation, to offer grace or seek forgiveness, or sometimes the hardest thing for me is when he's saying to wait and be still. So that last few weeks, that voice sermon series, it got me thinking, What is at the root of me not liking what God is saying or asking of me to do? Why does it make me feel uncomfortable or even sometimes afraid? And maybe you've experienced this too. God speaks to you and you're like, say what? You want me to do what exactly? Well, I want to start off by sharing with you a little bit about how I hear God's voice. He speaks to me in many different ways on any given day. But the constant that I have noticed is that when I show up, he shows up. Every single time. When we show up, he shows up. And I notice that when I find myself alone, when I find myself alone from distractions, I'm more likely to be in a posture to listen and hear his voice. See, I have three little girls right now, and it is really hard to get any alone time. They follow me everywhere. Everywhere they follow me. So I've taken up run, running in the last few years, and let me clarify, <laughs> that is a slow jog. I'm a slow jogger, not a runner, but the Lord doesn't care about my pace. He just meets me there. He also meets me at the grocery store, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit later, <laughs> but he most clearly reveals himself to me through reading his word. It has become one of the things that I look forward to most in my day. It's because it I get excited about how he's going to show up to me in, those, in his word, what he's going to speak to me there. And back in January, my huddle, again, this is a small group here at Mercy Road, we committed to reading the Bible in 365 days. And I know that some of you are doing it here in 90 days, and I commend you, keep going, that is amazing. Some of us are struggling with the 35-6 day plan, <laughs> but we press on, and we just start, and you just, you just keep going. It's a good thing because we get to talk to each other about what God is speaking to us through that, and we get to encourage each other to keep going. And sometimes his voice or presence, it's a welcomed revelation, like when he answers a prayer. That's a good thing, right? And other times I pretend I don't hear his voice because it makes me uncomfortable. Maybe you've experienced this too. I want you to think about this morning, what is at the root of us not liking where God is leading us? See, God is revealing to me that it usually stems from one of two things. And the first is when I try to strive for control or approval. And the second 
is when I'm merely surviving, just getting through my day, instead of thriving in my relationship with Jesus and who he wants me to be. So this morning, we're going to look at these three concepts of striving, surviving, and thriving. Lord, I just thank you for this time and space that you've given us here this morning. As we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that you would empty myself of me and fill me with you, Lord. Direct my words. Father, open the hearts and the eyes and the ears of the people that are here joining us this morning, Father. Let them see you in a new light. God, this is your day. Show us your way. Amen. So I mentioned earlier that God speaks to me often through the grocery store. I got to tell you, I loathe grocery store stopping. Dragging my three kids there is, is not a fun thing to do sometimes. See, they, they always want this shopping cart that has the car in the front of it. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's sticky. Oh, yeah, mama's out there. You know. It's sticky and gooey and all with germs. And it, it's big and it doesn't round the corners right of this labyrinth of the store. And they hop out at every stop. It is awful. So sometimes I, I pray this kind of insignificant prayer on my way to the, to the store, and I pray, God, please just hide that cart. Don't let them see it. And on one such shopping trip, God answered that prayer. And then my, my two-year-old melted down because we didn't have the car, shopping cart. And so in the middle of her meltdown, we were at the grocery store. I took her to the cafeteria, the little cafe part some grocery stores have. You know what I'm talking about? And we sat down at a table. And one of the employees there, she kind of saw what was going on. And she um, was very kind. And she came over and she said, here, here's a paper and pen. And I want you, uh, or maybe your daughter would want to play with that for a little bit and, and calm her down. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And so my daughter was playing with it for a little bit. And when we were done and it was finished to continue shopping, I was getting up to return the paper and pen to the, to the employee, and I got that holy nudge. You know what I'm talking about? That thing where you're like, uh, God, I think I hear you, and I don't, I don't know if I like what you're saying. And he said, I want you to go pray with her. When you go to thank her, I want you to pray with her. And I was like, uh, God, thanks for thinking of me, but that's weird. No. And he said, go. And I was like, no, I, I just, it's just not in me today, God. I don't want to do it. I don't have the words for it today. And she's going to think I'm a big weirdo. And can I just go out to my car and pray for her by myself out there? And, and he said, no, I will give you the words. You go. So I did. I walked over to her and I said, thank you for being kind to my daughter. And I know this is weird, but could I pray with you today? Just pray over your day today. And so she said, sure. And I sat down and we just said, we were just two strangers in a grocery store cafe. And we just said a real simple, simple prayer. And afterwards, she shared with me that she was new to this town. She was new to this job. And that she had just adopted a two-year-old just like my daughter, a two-year-old daughter just like mine. And that she came from an abusive situation. And so this was a welcomed um, encouragement that she needed that morning. And out of that small act of my begrudging obedience, I got to be a part of his kingdom work, the Lord's kingdom work. He used my regular everyday circumstances to bless this stranger, and in turn, he blessed me with his presence and power. See, the story, this story highlights my perceived need to remain in control of all of the things. <laughs> I don't want to give up that control. I strive to maintain it. 
The definition of strive is to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. I actually tried to talk God out of his plan for me. God, the creator of the world. Sounds silly when you think of it that way. It's also an example of how I often let my fear of failure and rejection get in the way of how the Lord wants to grow and bless me. I resort to this survival mode, doing only what is in the scope of my comfort and nothing else. The definition of survive is continuing to live or simply to just exist. But God is showing me that he created me and you for so much more. He creates us to thrive. Thrive means to grow or develop well or vigorously. If you would, go ahead and turn to your Bibles or power them up. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 3 and look. We're going to park it here for a little bit. We're going to look at verses 3, 1 1 through 6. And it reads, Paul is writing here. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the letter, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He made us competence as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I want to give you some context about the first verses here, one through three. This is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, where most of the new believers were thriving in their new faith. But some of them, they were giving their attention to false teachers of the gospel. These false teachers carried these forged letters of recommendation to authenticate their authority. And in verses four and six, Paul is saying here, and this is what, this is what really spoke to me about these verses. Paul is saying here, um, I don't need your letters. These letters are junk. I don't need them. My identity is rooted in Christ, Jesus Christ, and therefore my competence and my authority does not come from myself or anyone else. It comes from God himself. See, when we're striving to prove ourselves by believing our competence comes from ourselves, we are are experiencing an identity crisis. There are so many examples in the Bible about who God says we are and about our identity. This is just one of them. Galatians 3, 27, 29. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's who he says we are. In our huddles, we use these shape illustrations to help us visualize God's promises and Jesus' teachings. Okay, good. I gotta tell you guys, I'm really bad at math and especially geometry, but I can handle these triangles, okay? So this is a tool that we use in our huddles. It's called the covenant kingdom relationship. I want you to focus on the the top triangle right now. In the simplest of terms, God desires a relationship with us. That's God the Father. He sent his son to cover our sins so that we could enter into this relationship. And when we accept his invitation, our identity becomes that of redeemed sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom. So God the Father gives us that identity through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Our response out of that 
abundant love and grace is of surrender and obedience. Okay. But oftentimes, we operate out of a reversed framework of this relationship. It doesn't work in reverse. Our identity does not come from our obedience. It doesn't matter how much we try to be good enough or do good works out of our own strength, it will never add up. This striving or attempt, or attempt at maintaining control of our lives will never be enough. You see, Paul tells us that his confidence comes from God alone. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It means that you can't earn your way to heaven. Eternal life only comes by our belief in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit that he imparts on us. That is where our, where our identity is rooted. So you heard the band sing that our God is a chain breaker. What does God want to free you from? What is he saying to you that you might still be holding on to? As you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And I love my girls with my whole being. And I thank God every day for the opportunity to be at home with them. And while his voice right now is telling me I'm right where I'm supposed to be, I still have these God-sized dreams that are outside the walls of my home. You see, I have a desire to work in ministry, serving other women. And in particular, my heart bleeds for moms and refugees. There is a part of me that wants to run and chase after these dreams right now. And at times I have tried to make this happen out of my own strength, striving to prove that I can do this when I know the timing is not right. I think that's my baby right there. Is she crying? <laughs> I have this drive in me that says, put me in coach. Like the prophet Isaiah said, here am I, send me God. God is so patient with me and he's revealing to me that I am not hearing his voice wrong. He has created me to be a disciple to other women. He has created me with a heart to love on his forgotten people. But you see, what his picture of this looks like differs from what I think it should look like. I feel like he's saying to me right now, girlfriend, just simmer down. <laughs> simmer down now. You are right where I need you to be. He tells me you are raising three little disciples that are growing into women who are going to run, and ride, and ride, run for me and ride alongside me. He reminds me that he's using me and growing me through my sweet time with the women in my outpost and my huddle. And he wants us to know that where you are, where he has you is enough because he is enough. You do not need to strive to be anything else. He knows who you are and how he created you to be, to thrive right where you are. He reminds me that the small but intentional acts of obedience, like in the grocery store that I mentioned, is how he is using us. He's showing me that by being a mom and doing my mom thing at the grocery store is his plan for me right now. And he reminds me that he will not waste one part of our story for his glory. Where God has you, it's not the end, but it's just the beginning. He is preparing you for what is to come. So I want to ask you again this question, what does God want to free you from? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we see that, we see that in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. It says, now where the Lord is, 
is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You couldn't get out of this service on the Independence Day without hearing that voice, right? Or without hearing that verse, right? Like me, do you need to be free from control? Could he want to free you from what you think his plan should look like for you? Maybe your dream job has actually turned into your worst nightmare. Maybe he has you there for a reason that we cannot see right now, but that he's working for your good and for his glory. Maybe you followed his voice to marry your spouse and your idea of marriage looks different than what your marriage looks like right now. Could it be that the Lord is asking you to be faithful in the midst of the heartache and, what, and that he is growing in you right now in the midst of this frustration and hurt? What does God want to free you from? Ask him. When you show up, he shows up. He's already waiting for you to ride with him. He's giving you the power and authority to do so. Which this brings me to the other root of not obeying for me. Believing that we don't have the authority or skills to do what he's asking us to do. So when I don't like what God is saying, it often has to do with me striving for approval. But at other times, it has to do with me, um, it has to do with me just being scared to pieces, okay? I don't think I'm equipped for the task at hand. The authority and God confidence that Paul talks about, it seems to be tossed out the window. <laughs> and when that happens, when I, when I get scared and I don't really want to listen to God, it often results in me being sucked into that black hole of my phone, that black hole of the scroll of social media. You see, we often fill our minds with anything but God's voice because we're afraid of what he's asking us to do. I go on with my everyday life, avoiding eye contact with the Lord and merely surviving rather than thriving in the blessing of getting to do his work. I miss out on getting to be a part of God's bigger story. So when you hear the word authority, what do you think of? If I'm honest, it makes me cringe a little because as, as I'm a little sister, I have an older sister, I will forever cry, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> But our Father's authority is sovereign, and it's righteous, and it works for our good, and he has given us that same authority. Turn your attention back to those triangles and take a look at the bottom triangle. Again, the top triangle is the covenant triangle. It illustrates our invitation into a covenant relationship with God the Father. The kingdom triangle illustrates our responsibility as sons and daughters to our Father, the King. So the bottom triangle is, starts with God the king. When our identity is rooted firmly in Christ, we are free to move into obedience and towards what he's asking us to do. With any relationship comes responsibility. And as we are invited into this relationship with Jesus, we are challenged with the responsibility to share his hope and faith and love that he offers to others. He gives us the authority and power to do this his design is for us to actually partake in his kingdom, to take an active role in it. We don't have to do this, but we get to do this. But again, it feels easier and it feels safer to ignore his call and forget the power that he has given us. And we often resort back to just getting by and then the daily grind, merely surviving and not thriving. Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome? 
don't know if anyone out there has heard of that. Yeah, it's, I like this quote. This, this explains what it's talking about. This is a quote by uh, Christian author Sharon Hode-Miller. Hode it says, she reads, this she writes, this anxiety that you don't belong, that you're not good enough, that somehow you've tricked the admissions office, your employer, or your spouse into choosing you, and that sooner or later they're going to figure it out, this fear has a name. It's called the imposter syndrome. It's the reason we quit early before we have the chance to disappoint. The imposter syndrome is the reason we never step fully into our call. It's because we feel like a fraud. It's what keeps us from being vulnerable to others. We're too afraid of being found out. You see, God asks us to do hard things. He does this knowing we can't do it alone, and that's why he has given us his spirit to go with us. Remember we were talking about um, obedience and our identity, and it flows into our, it flows, our identity is given from the Father, and out of that we are able to um, obey, okay? And we get to be in that relationship with our Father, who never changes despite when we forget who we are in Christ, whether we choose to obey or not obey, okay? Um, this is here where I, I was going to talk about here, where God does not define us by what we do, how good we do it, or how bad we do it. And there was, I had a quote here. Um, it's by Jenny Allen, Christian author Jenny Allen. She says, we are not defined by our worst or our best. We are defined by God. See, his, he does not force his obedience on us, but he gives, the free, he gives us the freedom to obey. In reading in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 here, we skip down to 3.12, it tells us, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. What is he talking about, this veil stuff here? Well, Paul is referencing to Exodus 34. He's telling us about the story of Moses when he comes down from the mountain after being with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. His face is glowing so brightly that he has to cover it with a veil so that the people are not terrified. It's not your greatest, new latest and greatest uh, miracle cream here. His face is glowing from literally being in the presence of God. In verse 16, Paul goes on to explain, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When Jesus came, he removed the veil in the Old Testament way of upholding righteousness through the law or the Ten Commandments. Because of Jesus, we can now live freely because his spirit is inside of us. Though Jesus' sacrifice, through Jesus' sacrifice, we've been given freedom from what has been holding us back, joining in this relationship. He has graciously given us his spirit. And that's where that verse 17 came in, where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Do you remember Moses? He's, when he, his face was coming down, or when his, he's coming down the mountain and his face was, was, uh, was shining. He didn't start out that way. He didn't start out with his face glowing. In fact, he murdered a man and seriously doubted God many times, even after God spoke to him audibly with clear signs. And still, God gave him the authority to perform miracles like parting the Red Sea. God desires Moses to be a part of his story. Like Moses, are you doubting God? Authority is about placing ourselves in the right place before God. 
As we humbly recognize his position in our own, he authorizes us to exercise power on his behalf. So again, I ask you, what may be at the root of your unbelief if you struggle with this? Do you feel inadequate or ill-equipped to do what he's asking you to do? Do health problems or financial stresses, your past or your age, make you feel disqualified from God's kingdom? Moses did too, and God still used him. He doubted God five different times, and God addressed every one of his concerns. I want to wrap this up here with the last verse here, and it says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you don't get anything else out of this this morning here, I want you to remember these words. They are the whole crux behind what God may be ask, why God might be asking you to do something that is making you uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are, beginning to, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He is making you like him. The friction that we feel is a result of our worldly desires. Our humanness is butting heads with his holiness. When you accept Jesus into your heart and surrender to his leading, you are being made into his image. Are we allowing our transformation story to radiate his glory? Are we striving or are we merely surviving? Are we thriving or are we thriving, growing closer to him and his likeness? I'm going to leave you with this last image of my daughter. At her request, we recently took off the training wheels of her bike. And we were so excited. She's, she's, she's riding her bike. She's doing it. And this whole time she's doing it, she's crying. And she's saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And we say, baby girl, you're doing it. You're riding your bike. This is the perfect illustration to me of what it must look like when I'm dragging my feet into his obedience at times. We hear a lot about running for God or even chasing God, and at times we might be in a, sense, a season of intense running or perhaps more of my current speed, a slow jog. But might I suggest that he has given all of himself to us to not only run towards him, but that he also desires us to jump on a sweet and bumpy ride with him. So get on the bike, crying, dragging, dragging your feet if you must, but just start. You can hang up your shoes of striving. Your identity comes from a father who wants us to ride alongside him in a relationship. Our freedom to obey flows out of his love for us and allows us to get on the bike. When we move past our fears in survival mode, we get to participate in the ride. We are able to pedal and steer through God's authority and power. We will all fall, but through, the, through his spirit, we will get back on. This is the transformation process. As Paul writes, you are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. Go ahead and pray with me. Father God, we praise you for never changing who you are. Thank you for inviting us into this ride and into this relationship with you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for giving us our identity of sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I just want to pray right now. I just want to pray right now, Lord, for anybody who may be hearing from you for the very first time, Lord, that you reassure them that, 
that it is you and that you do speak to us, Lord. Guide them in the way that you want them to go, Lord. I pray for anybody who is striving or trying to stay in control, Lord, or anyone who might be just in that survival, survival mode, Lord. Would you speak to them today? And Father, if there is anyone who is feeling this holy nudge from you today and wants to talk with one of us, um, I just pray that you would give them the courage to walk over to the prayer room and receive your gift of prayer, Father. As we move into this time of communion, Father, we just thank you for giving us our identity, Lord, and for loving us wholly and completely. And we're going to bind this up, Lord, in your name, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.